Hey y'all, Jules here. Uh, just a few announcements before the pod gets going. This one was super long, you know, nearly two hours, so we split it into two parts. So this is part one, and then after this, uh, part two will be available as well. Go listen to that. Also, Chev, our West Coast boy, was visiting the East Coast. We, of course, had to record in the same room and thus had to jank around our setup a little bit, so we apologize for any uh, the slight dip in audio quality in terms of there's like a bit of a buzzing that goes around for like the first couple minutes but it goes away after a little bit so thanks for bearing with us and enjoy the show yeah, yeah what i mean like what what is this hand motion are you are you are you preparing to see to receive the tablets from god like are you are you I've ready already, to get the 10 magic me, commandments going this is a this is me already giving up i'm julian i'm joined by my co-hosts uh, Eric? Hello! Oak? Yo! And Chef? Yup. And we are a longtime playgroup during the multiverse in the hopes of bubbling up our game and yours. Another exciting cast here today. We're going to talk about whoop to do Another set. Who would have thought that they printed more Magic the Gathering cards? But first, I gotta say I'm a little, I'm a little peeved. Why are you peeved? I'm peeved because it's it's no it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of the Japanese. Love the culture, love all that sort of stuff. But those bastards are copying us. You see, in a couple weeks they're going to be hosting something called the Olympics, and I think that's just blatant thievery. <laughs> little, little magic card reference there uh, to something that we the hex drinkers thought of and executed first uh, just a few days ago to uh, mm. wonderful success. Greece might have us beat by a few millennia, but, you know, I'm, I'm willing to accept the transition. You were kind of the, the mastermind behind this this athletic event, if I do say so myself. <laughs> you wanna... It certainly took its physical toll on me. Correct, correct, correct. Do you want to let the audience know what, what went down just, uh, just a few days ago? Yeah, so we, we hosted the first inaugural um, Hex Drinker Olympics. It was comprised of four... Magic the Gathering, EDH variants of a list Almost of about five. seven. Almost Four five. And Four and a half. Four but, and then, half. but then computers died. Um, <laughs> so the, the events in order were a two-headed giant game of EDH, followed by a Dungeons & Dragons variant that we crafted up together. Then we tried to do a little bit of competitive. Uh, that's when the computers broke. So we did a little bit of casual and finished it off with um, some playing chase. And all throughout, there were certain achievements you could get for, for points, and Eric took a few of them like a champ. I'm sure his liver was very happy with him that night. Uh, and the rest were kind of like, based on a certain board state, meet this condition, and then the person who had the most points at the end won, and he also got you know points for winning. So with that, we'd like to congratulate Eric for his victory in the first Hex Drinkers Olympics. Um, my God, the things he did, he earned it. I, uh... What, what were the final yeah. scores again? Could you remind us, Chev? I believe it was, I had ten points, Julian had eight. Uh... I had seven. Chev... I think. You, you Chev had zero. Seven. Chev was hell-bent on points. Chev, Chev had none points. What it, what it was, was really, it was it was a dominating performance by Eros, Eric's Golos deck, because that, that deck put in work. And also a dominating performance by Eric's just inability to, like, a gag or pull trig, pretty much. 
Um, it, to clarify, are we talking what we've about been a specific the... cocktail? <laughs> yeah, uh, a cocktail might rule... be a generous term. The rule I, I of think... uh, one condition was you could get three points if you simply turned to Chev, or if Chev turned to anyone else and said, "Chev, why don't you go just make me a cocktail of your own design?" Uh, Chev chose to include such ingredients as hot chicken uh, stock, uh, fireball whiskey. <laughs> Strawberry um, jam. Strawberry preserves. Um, <laughs> and many other fun elements. Mostly just different forms of alcohol. Unfortunately, Julian did curb my um, artistic sensibility at certain times, uh, of which, you know, I feel like I really deprived Eric the ultimate cup of which he deserved. But we'll, we'll save that for next year. We'll bump it to four points and we'll give Jeff full artistic license. I will allow you to use anything in my house, but I will throw out all of, like, my oyster sauce and, like, other <laughs> wild stuff before you show up. Just or at least I'll you hide raw oysters in the fridge, one of those is going in. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'd so just Eric... Like to... Oh. I'd just like to point out that, um, that feat was worth three points, meaning that had either me or Julian taken that instead, it could have been... It, it was that close. It was the game. That hot very chicken stock led yep. Eric to victory. It did. It really did. Yeah. Eric I saw that coming it. down the pipeline, yep. and I knew what had to be done. Yep. I I believe I, I I only actually won one of those games. I would have won two if uh, Julian had not <laughs> shut off his computer to prevent himself from losing. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't killed sh- it on purpose. I didn't <laughs> shut my computer off. My computer died, and then... We made the executive decision well, that we Tep were instead forgot of his computer entirely. So that as well. It, so in, instead <laughs> of scrounging for uh, lead cords and stuff, we, we we conducted the whole thing outside on my back deck, which was a lo- it was a lovely experience. But we were like, we don't really want to upend our entire setup, and also finding lead cords and such would be a lot. So we kind of were just like, well, we all have our decks. I guess we'll just move on. I brought a laptop so that Chev could. Pl- unknowingly I brought a laptop so that Chev could play CEDH so that I could win that event and then I was disrespected in this way. <laughs> you won the event, Eric, so I, I feel like I saw a lot of complaining I, from you. All I'm saying is the, that uh, people are coming out here with the oh, if only we had drank the cup nonsense. I'm saying, if this were a five event night, I'm I'm taking home that dub, no qualifications. Uh, not if we played PDH instead, but... I will say, I think next year I'd like to massage the point system a little bit. Obviously, we're doing this again. But personally, as the one with zero points, I found that after two games of not winning and not doing any of the achievements, there was very little reason for me to push for it. So I was like, okay, you know, I could win two games. The the max that we had available to bet was three points. I think we upped it to four. So I could have gotten to eight had I won or had a perfect record. And a lot of the extra points... Were kind of like you could aim towards one a game, but you certainly really couldn't go for two. So it, it yeah. does lead to a either the event is short enough that it's hard to really make a comeback if you don't start start off well. Uh, but that is something I would look to massage or tweak a little bit. I think one of the yeah. things that we could do is is we said once someone a- achieves an achievement, no one else can get it, and I think that's definitely something that for at least a lot of them we could change, like the. Um, you know the the not being the not playing any artifacts or enchantments in a game that's not really like a, a restrictive sort of thing you know what i mean or the same thing where it's like 
complete your whole turn and complete your whole turn having played ten or two spells within mm-hmm. a matter of ten seconds or something like that. Um, there's... I, th- I think that what you, you what you could say is essentially uh, each time someone achieves something, it's worth one less point. Yeah, that's that's what I would agree with because the 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 point of those isn't so much like you and your personal accomplishments. Like at the end of it, wow, I did X things. It's more like this is a mission on the task board. Who's going to get there? And so it's it's less like I can do all these things too and more like who's going to make it their prerogative to get there. That's fair enough. So I do like the idea of having a few of them be worth like a bunch and then a little less and maybe you can hit it two times. Um, but I, I would be very remiss to say like all of these things could be done as many times as you want. I think yeah. there's other things that we could put in like you could have a point for who deals combat damage first mm-hmm. um you could have a point for just like did you kill someone with a command with commander damage right that's a point you know you could have a point for like i don't know did you take three turns in a row and ruin the first event of the evening that could be a point <laughs> that could be a point yeah four consecutive sorry turns. did you say I, win and, the and first just, event of the evening there? <laughs> uh just for the uh, listeners it can be out both. there <laughs> Let's uh, yeah. Let's discuss some of the, the highlight moments. Let's not get we'll, bogged we'll into the weeds. We'll do that. We'll also put this um, the whole list, including our final results, um, edited a little bit into the the show notes here, so people can look at it. Yeah, as well as the rules for the D and D variant that we made, True. which was personally my favorite event of the the entire. I was going to say evening, but really it was a <laughs> the it was daytime. it was a day. I think it was like seven hours. Um, <laughs> That was personally my favorite event because that was just uh, peak, peak chaos, really. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Mm-hmm. But um, um, yeah. So anyway, Eric is salty because in the first game we played, it was two-headed giant. It was uh, Chev and Eric versus me and Oak, and um, one Eric was going off. He he was he was going hard. So I respect that because his 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 role got slowed uh, to a complete stop. I would say. Um, uh, two separate cyclonic rifts, and I believe at least one wrath effect. Uh, that no, sounds it, about right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. there was um, yeah, Oak Oak had a cyclonic rift that he cast. Uh, he then was able to return it with a regrowth, cast that again. Um, I actually had a cyclonic rift in my hand the whole time. Uh, so there there was a third one on the way. Should uh, be yeah, needed. with your five lands, let me know when you were going to cast that. <laughs> Once again, I I don't know why I'm I'm being talked down to and harassed for the the, the contributing var- nothing. Yeah, the variance gods coming through and saying, "Hey, um, you know, you, you can you can play a naturalize and like a beast within, but you're going to be on three lands for most of the game um, until you're getting really- talked down to because you are the reason that we lost. You're you were like get a get their ass Oakley, and Oak was like, okay, I'll take a third turn. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Oak, Oak had Maelstrom, who is, a uh, notably seven power. Yep. And, uh, commander damage is the same for two-headed giant. So even though you have more life, um, unless we want to introduce some rule as a play group, that means 21 damage with the commander is still enough to kill, even when you start at 60. I would like to introduce a rule because I've died to commander damage into a head of giant twice, and neither time was it a satisfying end to the game. <laughs> That's too bad. That's really too bad. <laughs> the first time, uh, Julian, you were on the receiving end of it. Uh, Chev killed us with hatred, and uh, oh, he's yeah. flying commander. Yeah, which works a lot better when you start with sixty life, baby. Yeah, I was gonna say that one. I don't. 
<laughs> I don't. I don't feel the need to change yet. Um, anyway, but... this isn't the Olympics talk. This isn't Olympics talk. Right. Anyway. So yes, Oak hit Maelstrom, hit a time walk or time warp, and then also happened to have a Eternal Witness in hand that got back the time warp. Um, but what happened was he was not. He was not going to be able to play that time warp. Uh, and I had a Temporal Trespass, and conveniently a lot of cards in my graveyard, so I was able to cast that for three blue mana, and that gave us the second turn, which allowed Oak to play the... Third turn. The Time Warp again. That is uh, enough combat steps, given that we had Cyclonic Rift the turn before. So we took the first game. We did do the lot Time of fun, Warp you know? again. A. It was... <laughs> a, uh, Except it was Temporal Manipulation, so... It was a... Uh, uh, Yes, we it, did it was a that again. jump to the left and then a step to the right. Yeah. Any other uh, notable moments that people want to... Just a notable moment for me. Uh, in our... I think, I think it was our casual game, or it might have been our D&D game. Uh, I played Golos as well in that, and uh, I, I ended up like getting out to like a, a pretty commanding lead at one point. And uh, the other gentlemen at the table were like, if we all scoop, he has to finish that cup of liquid right now. And that was a brief moment of discussion that I both enjoyed and feared a great deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, I mean, it was a legitimate, it was a legitimate thought because there was, the, the path to victory was very slim. There, there was a way out, but it was very slim. And you had only finished about a third of that, so two thirds of that uh, that thing. And as we all know, alcohol collects on the bottom of the glass because it's it's heavier than other things. So um, I don't know if that's is that's that true. One hundred percent correct. Yeah. All right. Well, let me tell you what it isn't heavier than jam, <laughs> <laughs> which was on I the mean, bottom. <laughs> yeah, that was a your, lovely little lump. That's your reward at the end. That's your reward at the end. Fruit on the bottom. <laughs> Yogurt. Well, parfait mixed drink anyway yeah i think um, we have something that we actually need to talk about today or should yes i i i think i think we should um and it is uh, what actually inspired our one of our events the the dnd theme thing and that is we have this new set the adventures in the forgotten realms which is the uh dnd crossover set um for magic the gathering it is the summer set taking the spot of the core set and as usual, we have each taken our time to look over the full uh, set spoiler, which is out as of today, which mm. is uh, July 9th, 10th? 7th. Yeah, same thing. Close <laughs> enough. Um, it's, it's out. So one, by the time you're listening to this, it's, it's out. Check it out. Uh, and we, of course, have some, some, some prime picks for you all in, in a variety of categories. You, you know how we do this, because we do it a lot, because it turns out they release a right. lot of... Make a lot of sets. A lot of sets. So... I would like to, once again, continuing in podcast tradition, go out of order, and uh, oh. this is a, this themed on Dungeons and Dragons. I think we established last cast that uh, the dungeons might not be doing stuff, but oh boy, there are some dragons, and we got we got some feelings about them. Mm. Eric, you're our resident dragon master. Would you like to uh, take us away? I would love to start. Um, so I do want to really quickly throw some shade. The audacity to only include one metallic dragon in this set is insanity. 
Uh, and they didn't even make it that good, which was unfortunate. But they had a bunch of flavor text about how cool they are, which Wait, I am fine. Which with. one is that? Because I, I don't actually know what. Uh, that is the gold dragon. Gold dragon. So metallic mm. are all ones that have a metal listed in front of them. Chromatic are all ones that have colors listed in front of them. And oh. you can see if you look at all of the legendary dragons, they are all a flat color. They are not metallic in mm-hmm. shade. Word. Except for the gold dragon, which is shiny. Uh, but anyway, uh, if we have to pick a chromatic dragon, may as well pick the best chromatic dragon. Uh, I picked Tiamat. Uh, I was going to originally pick Grandmaster of Flowers, but Bahamut just isn't good enough. <laughs> uh, he's He is a dragon. Uh, he's simply disguising himself as a human here, but he's he's just not as strong of a card as Tiamat and not as cool either. So, Tiamat, uh, 7 mana, 7-7, seven, seven, flying, ETB, search up 5 dragons with different names. Uh, that is wild. That is insane card advantage. And also, it turns out, kind of broken. Because, uh, with Dream Halls, that is an immediate infinite combo. Which I think is very cool. Uh, Can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh... Discard a card of any color. So first, two blue, three colorless, Dream Halls. Discard a card of any color, play Tiamat. Uh, get uh, Marite, uh, who is a changeling clone of any card. Uh, get uh, Scourge of Velkus and uh, the dragon that reanimates another dragon when it enters. Uh, Bladewing? Bladewing. Bladewing the Risen. Uh and then you can grab another assortment of dragons as you wish. Uh, ideally, a dragon that allows you... Uh, a green or white dragon that allows you to cast Dramica would be great. Uh, the play there is... Uh, discard uh, Bladewing to cast... Uh, I think... Yes, I think it's discard Bladewing to cast uh, Scourge of Velkus... Uh, ping your opponent for one uh let me just really quickly but you probably need to do something where you where you have blade wing and marite and you continually yeah marite the other. and blade wing legend rule kill each other and res each other on loop uh hmm. and uh scourge of elkis just pings people to death got you and then Dr- dramica makes it so that people won't be able to interact with your combo yeah right okay yep so essentially it's just about getting Oh, no. Yep. Sorry. You discard... I don't know. You discard Marite to do something, and then you reanimate Marite with Blade Wing. It's a whole thing, but uh, there is a combo write-up that uh, is, is pretty straightforward, but if you just search Tiamat Dream Hall's combo, you'll find it. And even still, like, I want to talk about this outside the realm of, like, competitive magic. It's a super cool and flavorful effect for Tiamat to go get you, like, five different dragons and sort of, like, summon this dragon horde to your hand and it's also like really powerful just in a casual setting of seven mana seven seven draw five like yeah and and it's five gas cards yeah plus you'll be you'll be at seven so next turn you'll just be like hmm which of my five do i want to play or potentially more depending on what you got going on but all of them so all stampede this guy, this guy gets it. You ever want someone to pick deck with Selvalo Stampede? Cast Tiamat first. <laughs> That's actually, like, super scary, and I hate it. 
All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to be like, oh, who else can I transition to? Well, maybe someone else picked a dragon. All of you picked dragons. <laughs> uh, let's go Let's go for uh, one of the other legendary dragons. Uh, Julian, Jeff, which one of you wants to jump in here? Uh, hey, we, we, all, we all picked yeah. other no, legendary oh, dragons. Let's go, let's I thought, the dragon that uh, I thought Oak Eric doesn't picked, think. I thought Oak picked red dragon. And I was like, that is a choice I will allow, but I will not support. <laughs> I mean, I don't His like red that red. much. It's, uh... <laughs> Alright, you know what, Oak, why don't you go ahead? You did pick a red dragon, All but right. not the red dragon. Who is it? I mean, there's not there's not much complex going on with this guy. This is Inferno of the Star Mounts. I don't know if this is a reference to, like, a and d thing, specifically. Eric, maybe. Uh, I think they're all references to how the dragons typically name themselves, but oh. I don't know if they're they are specific uh, dragons. That is cool. Anyways, four generic mana and two red uh, for a legendary dragon. This spell can't be countered. Mmm. Flying. Mmm. Haste. Mmm. <laughs> and then one red. Inferno of the Star Mounts gets plus one, plus zero oh until the end of the turn. When its power becomes 20 this way, it deals 20 damage to any target. So, what what is what is the easiest way to get that combo off? Um, play every mana doubler. <laughs> or, um, no, honestly, probably, man. like, mana geyser, right? Like, just, Is that the one that yeah. gives you more mana every upkeep? Um, I was, oh, oh, no, that's, no, that's, 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 that's so... Yeah, Braid of Fire. Yeah, because that would work well with this. Uh, it would, I was just it trying would take to think, a while, like, I was just trying to think, yeah. like, oh, let's play this combat trick and this combat trick and this combat trick and then double his power. Oh. Yeah, that works, too, considering well, I, it's, it's power. I was, Become I was Immense thinking, is a great step towards that. Yeah, yeah I was thinking kind of, Isn't like, Colossification in, in standard? Yeah. Oh, well, Colossification is going to rotate in the fall. Shit. But, but yeah, you... <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking, like, if you go... Because he starts out at six or seven? Six. 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 So if you go plus three, plus three, plus three. Well, if you go plus three, plus plus three, plus three, and double, that's an immediate. That's 20. You only need. uh, You need exactly 20. Also, then you could just kill, right? Like. That's what I'm saying. You, You don't even have to attack with him. You can just. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could do it without attacking. Yeah, you can. And just also, get the if someone tries to respond, like you can just add another trigger of this on top of that, mm-hmm. it's only one and then right. you'll you'll still like you'll be able to layer more activations on top of anyone's like removal spell or anything. Yep. So yeah, I mean, all in all, big dumb red dragon haste can't be countered. Two of my favorite phrases in the magic dictionary, and uh, a nice way to burn favorite. your opponent out by cranking out some uh, some red mana. That's all I have to say about my man. That's a, that's very on brand. I can yep. I can say that much. Hell yep. yeah. Trev, yours is yours is not so much on brand though. Well, so so my my pick was Icing Death Frost Tyrant, who is a I believe two white, two generic, for a four three, uh, with flying and vigilance, which is pretty solid stat wise for for a creature. But what really sold me on this dragon is its death trigger, because. To me, nothing quite says fantasy RPG like killing a boss and then being a- given a very powerful new weapon tied to the vanquished foe's identity. And Icing Death is when Icing Death Frost Tyrant dies, create Icing Death Frost Tongue, which also, it's his freaking tongue, a legendary white equipment artifact token with equipped creature gets plus two plus oh, 
Whenever equipped creature attacks, tap target creature, defending player controls, and equip two. So it's basically like your reward for killing him is you're pulling out his tongue and now it's a sword. And now that I think about it, I wish they went with something other than his tongue, like maybe a wing or like a talon. Like an <laughs> icy tongue, just it's going to feel weird when you get slapped by it. But just this idea of like, you know, you kill the boss and you get this exclusive weapon that you can then use to, to vanquish your foes. And it's not... It's not the, the most powerful weapon, um, so I'm thinking like maybe Icing Death is a mid-level boss, but I think he, he is the most interesting step for a dragon we've seen mechanically, and I think this, this kind of leads into where Wizards has been going with tokens recently, which is more and more functionally and mechanically complex tokens, since Wizards is, or since Magic is kind of going more and more online, they can do this, and I think this opens the door for more complex tokens and death triggers in this sort of style, as the game continues to develop. So I, I like what Icing Death represents. I like the stats of the dragon, and I like being able to make a tongue popsicle sword. I, uh, I, I definitely also agree. Uh, earlier I was talking about there was a card that I read at once, and I was like, I will never play this because it simply hurts my brain to read, and it was this. Just because the <laughs> word equip is used four times in one sentence with different tenses, and I, I was I was just bugging. <laughs> <laughs> but I do actually know that Icing Death is a lore-based dragon in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, so that actually makes me think that the others are as well. Because as soon as I saw Icing Death, I was like, oh no, that is that is one that I have heard of. <laughs> He's a cool guy. I think he might get played in Standard, too. Uh, oh, yeah. there is four, a, four man is a great rate. There's a pretty good mono... Good enough. I mean, it, it fluctuates between Tier 1 and Tier 2, but a mono-white kind of like attacky deck and that plays some equipments with halvar god of battle and also maul the skyclave so this is just another one aggressively costed and statted target and then when you get your token your your equipment you just pop it on one of your boys who already wants to be attacking yeah um Chip, Julian, i gotta uh, say as, as... oh my hand was up <laughs> i can't see you you're tiny i apologize Right there. Yeah, but uh, I just want to say, Chev, I, I totally didn't think of it that way, and I'm glad you mentioned that because as someone who's played through all like the Devil May Cry games recently, that's pretty much what all the bosses do—just give you a new <laughs> weapon, <laughs> like every time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that that is super cool. Also, very Souls-like. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Yeah, cut true. off the tail, cut off the tongue. <clears throat> Yeah, brings brings me back to that the, that first time I was playing Dark Souls, and I I think Oak showed me that you could get the Drake Sword, and he was oh, like, "Dude, yeah. this shit's overpowered," and I was like, "Let's go!" <laughs> it, it definitely is for the first like half of the game. Oh yeah, so um, in case you were wondering, I also picked one of these uh these legendary monocolored dragons. So we're we're all we're all in the same boat here. I picked the blue one, of course, um, but it's it's. It's it's still cool. It's the uh, Imrith Desert Doom, or maybe it's Limrith. I can't, I can't actually tell. I think that's an I. But um, this is an I. he is a uh, a 5-mana dragon, so 3 double blue. He's a 5-5, five five, so reasonably statted. Um, he's got flying, obviously. And then he also has Ward 4, as long as it's untapped. And I, Ward 4 is like... Obviously, it's not hexproof, but that's... You're, you're getting up there. That's that's really getting struggling uh, for... Uh, for targeting things. And then whenever he deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. And then if you have fewer than three cards in your hand, you draw cards equal to the difference. So I like this guy for a few reasons. One, he gives me major Dragonlord Ojitai vibes, who basically did the same thing. He had a hexproof unless he was untapped. And then whenever he dealt combat damage to a player, you would impulse. 
Um, so this is slightly different, slightly worse-ish in both regards, but uh, I, li I like the look. And um, I think it gives you two very important and very interesting deck building puzzles to solve. And one is how do you keep this guy uh, untapped? Is that do you give him vigilance? Do you, Are you playing him in a mono blue deck and you play untapped things so that if people try and target him, you untap him and then their spell gets countered by that ward ability? So that's one thing. And then the other thing is uh, I feel like you would want to pretty much be saying, how can I draw three cards every turn? So basically, how in a, a blue deck, how am I going to be hellbent? Uh, which is which is very interesting. Basically, I mean, I, I imagine just slinging a lot of spells, but not cantrips, right? Because those, you're card neutral. You want to be like slinging a bunch of like cheap spells that don't draw you a card and then hit with him, draw three cards, keep going. Um, it's... It's different from what a blue deck normally wants to do, especially if you're like a mono blue sort of deck. Um, and also, he's just kind of a nice finisher too. He provides a lot of uh, a lot of a pressure, a lot of pressure, obviously, as, as a five five flyer. So I, I think it's it'd be cool to build around him, or at least include him in some sort of a build. Uh, and la lastly, um, he's the Desert Doom, which I don't know. I don't know what the lore is, Eric. If you know, please let us know. But I just I like that he's not. Oh, it's it's just a water dragon or he's the ice or snow dragon which i mean that that's what they gave white but like I, I don't know how the desert doom fits in if they were just like we have a blue dragon what is a named dragon that we can put in but i i appreciate that julian those things you mentioned about like finding ways to keep him protected i think just highlight um i don't know actually i'm sorry you know i was gonna say i was gonna say Please cut this out. I was just going to say, like, oh, this is why Ward is so much better. But you can literally <clears throat> do the same thing with Hexproof. So it's not. So just fuck me, I guess. <laughs> uh, what I will say is that uh, I don't know any of the lore about Imrith specifically. But I do know that blue chromatic dragons in D&D do shoot lightning. Uh, and there are no water dragons. Ooh. So oh, blue is the right. lightning like is the that. bluest they were going to get. And... Uh, Honestly, it's a blue dragon. If they didn't put it on a blue card, I think people were going to be like, this This actively hurts to look at. So. Yeah, probably. They got the white dragon on the white card, the blue dragon on the blue card. And I uh, I agree it's good that they weren't like, blue's water again. But uh, yeah, it does make sense. Selfishly. On both sides of the wizards. I, I know this is wrong for so many reasons. But selfishly, now that you're saying that they shoot lightning, I wish there was some ability where he dealt damage to things many moons ago in the blue had direct damage in on some cards and <laughs> if you were gonna bust the color pie the the non-canon set i get i guess would be the one to do it but i understand that that would that would be wrong on so many reasons but like <laughs> yeah. he he deals damage you can pay two to deal three to you know or pay one deal three to any creature he's just throwing lightning bolts around like i i'd be pretty down It'd be pretty sick if he would bolt on a stick, but it's really good for the game that he isn't. Yeah. yeah fair I think it was, like, maybe Future Sight or one of those Planar Chaos where Blue had the ability where it was, like, it was later than, than the particular card you're thinking of, but it was, like, deal four damage to something, deal two damage to you. But I think that's also now, like, gone gone over to red. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that think on a that few was cards. Psionic Blast? Yeah. Yep. Sounds right. And then I think it became... 
uh, Orcish like Cannonade or something like that. Or yeah, Orcish Cannonade I think does that too. Goblin Grenade I think does something like that. So the crazy thing to me is Psionic Blast would have been in standard during the time spiral block because they made the time shifted sheet there standard legal. And it caused a bunch of old cards to be relevant and standard again. Because it was printed Dang. it was printed in that. But yeah, Psionic Blast, deal four. Dang, deal two, why deal. is there not a red-blue burn deck in Modern? <laughs> there is. What the heck? It's called Ragavan. <laughs> oh, make it happen. He's not burn. He's tempo. Uh, close He's enough. a creature. I only want to throw burn spells. Psionic Blast on the top. Anyway, uh, shall we move on to our next category? Well, what is our next category, at least in your head? Yeah, I was because... hoping for a transition. That one was kind of kind of lame. No, um, no, no. Uh, uh, he can save this. He's just got to tell us what our next category is, and it has to make sense somehow because we started in the middle. Well, I think we should talk a little bit about Standard um, because <laughs> I like Standard, and I'm not going to lie, Standard has fucking sucked for a really long time, and Eldraine rotates in the fall. Still, fingers crossed that they're going to rotate it early, but um, I think that, honestly, this set is not going to do anything to standard, but I think it's going to be pretty powerful once all that crap from the last couple of years gets out. So, <laughs> uh, so you're thinking post-rotation. I'm thinking post-rotation, we're going to see some real stuff, but I think the few that we have picked now could uh, have a li- you know some, some mild impact for the next roughly two months that uh, the Eldraine is still legal, and also Ikoria to a lesser extent. Um, personally, I think the Paladin class is going to be uh, a, a great addition to standard. Honestly, I think it's going to be a great addition to a, a few different formats, but the Paladin class, which... Uh, where the fuck is it? There we go. The Paladin class is one of these class enchantments, which is a, a, a type of... Uh, a new mechanic that we did not discuss last week. Uh, but basically, they're enchantments, and then they have uh, level up on them. So, shout out to leveling up both our game and yours. Uh, the Paladin class is just one white mana. And then, what it says is, just base level. Spells your opponents cast during your turn cost one more to cast. So, already great disruption. It's not non-creature or creature like things we've seen in the past. It's just, if you're trying to interact on my turn, you gotta pay the troll toll, Right? Then if you pay two and a white, you go to level two. Creatures your control get plus one, plus one. So in total, that's two white, white for uh, a glorious anthem effect, which is not too far off, right? Especially since you're already disrupting your opponent. And then lastly, you can pay four and a white to get to level three. And whenever you attack until end of turn, target attacking creature gets plus one, plus one for each other attacking creature and gains double strike. So that's really enabling you to, to go over the top. I, I like this card for a few reasons. One, uh, I was talking about that aggressive white deck um and also there is a, a boros deck that um they've kind of been around since call time uh, they're both they fluctuate between tier one and tier two i really like that white that sort of white weenie deck I, I played a bunch of it i think this is a great um option for that especially in the sideboard but i think you could even play it main deck because there are so many just spell slingery e decks um thinking blue red dragons thinking uh rogues thinking all sorts of stuff like that um so just good disruption. And then that deck plays a bunch of creatures. They're small. So being able to anthem them all up uh, just kind of gives you, once again, more value in terms of just getting damage through, um, potentially swarming past opponents, um, even if you have to make like an unfavorable attack, if, as long as you can get those last few points of damage in. And then lastly, if you are flooding out in that deck 
or you are ending you're kind of in a stalemate you're going into the mid game being able to activate that last ability and get double strike plus you know a potentially a huge boost that's going to really once again put you over the top punch through that last bits of damage um and i think that's going to be a great addition to this deck which i think is poised to be already is already a successful deck and i think is poised to be one of the best decks come rotation that is way more in depth than i think the rest of us will be <laughs> but damn i'm sold i'll play it yeah all right I'm, word <laughs> sounds like a good plan yeah uh, all, all i had was um even death draco lich draco lick anyway lich it lich. Draco it's lich. a legendary zombie dragon uh it's a five two for four with flash flying and enters the battlefield tapped which in my head with flash feels like such a non-bow of coming in at the last minute and just being sideways like i'm gonna come and say nah but it's made up for with his last ability of you may cast him from your graveyard if a creature not named even death draco lich died this turn and so i without that that really in-depth standard appeal i really like the idea of having a solid recursion a target for aristocrat decks or decks that um kill off creatures for resources we saw a lot of sacrifice last time i was playing standard which was with Cat Oven and Jun Sacrifice and all those guys. So I'm hoping that this could give that archetype a bit of a comeback. Um, and that's about all I got. I think it would be cool. Oh, and, and I guess the uh, the Flash support we've seen in Aquaria, it could be pretty solid with that, potentially. Um, but mostly I just want to see a big dragon do cool things in Standard. That's true. Better not play that against uh, Paladin class, though. You'll be you'll be paying five for that <laughs> bad boy. Yeah, <laughs> it on Julian's turn. Five for a five two starts to sound real bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the best part is that this thing is just so recursive, and well, there no. are some. There's already good things to be doing in terms of sacrifice and enabling that sort of thing in standard, and this thing is just so recursive. And when you do get to connect, it hits so hard yeah. that playing at least a couple of these in your deck um, is going to be a great option. Does it have flying too? I would hope so. Yeah, it's it a does. dragon. It does okay. have flying. Okay, that's pretty good then. Uh, I dig that. Um, yeah, my pick was also made with almost no knowledge of what is going on in standard currently. Uh, it shows Book of Exalted Deeds. It's an, uh, I think it's an artifact. Or it might be an enchantment. I don't uh, for three white. It's a legendary artifact. Legendary artifact. Uh, and essentially, it has the rules text of. Uh, actually, let me just pull it up so I can give you the exact rule text. I will say, I've been trying to look up some of these cards as we've been going along, and they're all named things in D&D, so I look it up, and there's, like, five options of, just like... Just start at Tryfall. <laughs> well, I know, but I'm just, I'm just going... Yeah, I have to type in MTG in the back, because it's, like, this is a, a thing. Which I appreciate. Yeah. I appreciate that they're really doing the source material justice. I'm about two they're... steps away from just having my new tab always be Scryfall. Honestly, <laughs> just redirect that's me there. powerful. It's anyway. That's, that's what I do more deeds. often than anything else. Often, yeah. Uh, at the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, create a three-three white angel creature token with flying. So, just sort of a passive ability of if you are gaining life throughout your turn, you are creating angel tokens. Uh, it is only your end step, so it does only make sort of a limit of one three-three per turn cycle, but. Uh, you can collect on it the turn you play it. You don't have to wait for your next upkeep. And then the reason that I think that this card will be standard relevant is you can also pay three white, tap, exile the Book of Exalted Deeds, 
Put an enlightened counter on target angel. It gains. You can't lose the game, and your opponents can't win the game. Activate only as a sorcery. So that's an effect that you may be familiar with, because it was last seen on Platinum Angel for, uh, I believe, seven mana. <laughs> and uh, admittedly, if you add it up, it's six colored mana this time, which is probably around as expensive as... Uh, uh, it was probably around... Six colored mana is probably around as expensive as seven colorless mana. Uh, Chev, what's up? Oh, I was just raising my hand for when you were done. Oh, I, I assumed that you were going to uh, provide me with a more recent time when uh, you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game was on a card. Oh, but yeah, I was not. All right, I'll, I'll put my hand down then. Sorry to confuse. No, it's totally fine. Uh, essentially, uh, it's I think that's just an insanely powerful effect. It changes your opponent's goal from I have to kill my opponent to I have to kill that creature and kill my opponent. If you're going into a turn where you know you can lose, uh, you can sort of turn in this ability to generate creatures that are blockers, that are attackers, uh, and say, you know what, now you have to kill this creature and finish me off. And I, I think that that's just, that is a very powerful effect. I don't know if this deck will have a home, but, uh, or if this card will have a home in a deck, but I hope it does. <clears throat> So something that's already been been kind of brewed is uh, Faceless Haven from Kaldheim. It's a snow land, taps for colorless, tap three snow, Faceless Haven becomes a 4-3 creature with vigilance in all creature types until end of turn. It's still a land. Now, the other cool thing, and, and something that's really a step away from the rest of the Forgotten Realms cards that seem to kind of curb and limit their abilities in certain ways, the way that Book of Exalted deals works, it's not an enchantment that gives something, you know, can't lose the game. It's put an enlightenment counter on an angel um, that says you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. So Faceless Haven only needs to be the angel for the turn that you place the counter on it. The counter won't disappear, and now you have a land that is preventing you from losing the game. So it's a, a pretty nifty thing. I think Saffron Olive was one of the first people to point it out, and he put together a, a deck list for it already. Uh, the set does go live tomorrow on Arena, so maybe we'll be able to see some traction of that, but to your point, Eric, I think you stumbled upon um, something that could be incredibly relevant to Standard uh, with yeah. that same sort of like build your own Platinum Angel, but this time it's like build your own Platinum Cave. <laughs> just won't let yeah, the other I person mean, that's, win. That's super powerful. I, Julian, you would know best. Is there even any land destruction in Standard? Uh, there's always technically land destruction in Standard, but no one... I mean, this might be... If that if this becomes a real thing, guaranteed, it's a lot of mana. I right. think that's a, a total of you'd have to use seven or six mana in a single turn to do it. Yes, yeah, six mana and your faceless haven would be tapped. Um, but people love that sort of jank, and if this becomes reliable at all, um, I think land destruction will be uh, become a staple of <laughs> uh, sideboards. Um, yeah, there, there there's always a like four or five mana destroy land some or destroy marginal, target permanent or something yeah just some marginal benefit but yeah it's, it's never been playable really really playable so mm. that that is interesting um on a less janky note i will say that they were in, in the core set last year's core set i believe they were seeding this gain three life a turn sort of benefit yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately that will be rotating in the fall, but you'll have a, a brief, a brief intermission where you can try and do something like that. There's, um, 
there's a few cards that would synergize with that, so. All right, on a much less janky note, and a much more fair note, if you ask me, um, <laughs> my pick for Standard Disruption was a Triumphant Adventurer. It is two mana, one white, one black, for a 1-1 one, one creature. That's not on rate, but that's okay, because this guy has Death Touch, and as long as it's your turn, Triumphant Adventurer has First Strike. Anyone who's played Glissa the Traitor as a... Uh, EDH commander, I'm sure, knows how powerful the combo of First Strike and Death Touch is. Also, this guy has, whenever Triumphant Adventurer attacks, venture into the dungeon. So, I could see this easily becoming a base for, like, a dungeon-themed deck. Um, I don't really know how strong the dungeon mechanic is going to be um, in Standard. Certainly, it'll be powerful and limited, uh, just like, you know, learning and lessons were in Strixhaven Limited, but um, that's kind of where currently I I'm seeing this or I'm, f I'm feeling like this mechanic is going to fall around, just like that sort of level of mechanic, and unfortunately this card is a rare which means that it's going to be, it won't be you know, very reliable to find in a limited area but, I could easily see uh, this becoming again the base for like a venture into the dungeon themed deck, there's a number of cards that benefit for um, having gone through one or more dungeons or triggers when you go further into the dungeon. So I think a card like this will be a good uh, a good base for that. And you never know, even if it's not in that sort of, even if it doesn't fall into that sort of mold, um, it could always be good for like an auras or like an equipment build around type deck because you really don't want to be blocking this thing. And you can get it back with Luris. Hey. So, everybody loves more Luris. Luris. <laughs> more good stuff. Everybody loves Luris. Sort of. Kind of, maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I like Luris. So, this triumphant adventurer is probably someone... Probably someone you'd want... You know, hanging out in your adventuring party. <laughs> it's a human knight, which I guess knight isn't really a... Oh, well, I guess you'd be a fighter, or, or maybe a paladin. I don't know. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so, who do you? Who would you want besides this triumphant adventurer to have in your adventuring party? Oh, I'm assuming that I am the triumphant adventurer, and that someone else is accompanying me on my journey to being triumphant. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was going for. It was poorly yeah. phrased. <laughs> uh, good, good teamwork. Personally, boys. I think I would have to take Volo Guide to Monsters. Uh, my man wrote one of the D&D source books, uh, but also just, like, in this photo, you can see that he's a stone-cold pimp. He is sitting <laughs> in an inn, back to a fireplace, gesturing to two monster heads, which I'm assuming he took off of their monster bodies and then put up there, uh, and holding a flagon of ale. He looks like a friend like a more French version of Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. It's, he's he's just absolutely living. And I gotta be honest, that's just the kind of energy I need in my adventuring party. Uh, he is simply big chillin'. And to be honest, knowing that he wrote Volo's Guide to Monsters and sort of knows that much, it'd be great to, like, be wandering through a dungeon and then all of a sudden 
a monster comes out and he's like, here's exactly how you kill that thing. And then we do it because <laughs> Volo and I, greatest team of all time. You know, I'm assuming Eric, the, the guide to monsters is a, is a, a thing in D and D. Yeah. Volo's guide to monsters is one of the books that, uh, it, it is a book in D or like in like real world D and D that like you, it, it is a source book that like you can, as a DM in the real world, flip through and get monsters out of. Gotcha. But it is theoretically written by Vola. So I, I had a bit of a... I, when I was trying to to figure out who I would want to join my party, I had a very different take on Volo, and that was like Professor Lockhart from um, Harry Potter. And if, for those of you who aren't familiar, he takes credit for everyone's big achievements and by wiping their memory. And then, you know, claiming he did it after. And I have a very specific reason for this, and it has to do with the party mechanic itself. Uh, so when, when Eric suggested this category of, you know, who would you want in your party, originally it had something to do with the, the types of party, or the type members of a party that we saw from the Zendikar set. And reading his text of whenever you cast a creature spell that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, copy that spell, he's the antithesis of a party. He doesn't want you playing any more than any one of these guys. And so you could take it in the direction of, okay, he just has a very core group of adventurers he goes with. And anyone outside of that, he doesn't, you know, really jive or combo with. I read it as he tries to keep everyone separated enough that no one knows he didn't do any of the things he claims. And then with that background, I'm looking at this picture of him in a bar kind of pointing to something like he just rolled into town. People know his name. He got free beer, and now he's sitting in the seat, and he's like, oh, I, I killed that. Yeah, yeah, and let me tell you how. And so I, I just had this wildly different take. I absolutely love the card, and I'll, I'll go into it a little bit more later. But I just had this very different, like, oh, this man, this man is a scoundrel. But I, I, I really liked hearing, hearing Eric's take on it, too, uh, especially with how just anti-party <laughs> he seems to be for, for all intents and purposes. To verify your head cannon. The, the head of what he's pointing to is not a beholder, so he, he could just be not right. And his flavor text is, uh, the beholder told me I had a good eye for detail. Who was I to argue? As he's pointing at the head of, again, not a beholder. I think I might be onto something. I've cracked the code. Well, I, Chef, honestly, you... I wish I had Volo's Guide to Monsters on me so that I could check and see if like that was implied somewhere in the book. <laughs> You see, I, I went for a, a bit of a different approach. Um, I went someone I know I 100% can't trust, and that is Demolich. And it's a 4 blue mana, 4-3, skeleton wizard. Uh, where the rest of the skeleton is, I'm not sure. The art is just a skull with some pointy teeth. Um, it, gets, it costs 1 blue less to cast for each instant and sorcery spell you've cast this turn. When it attacks, exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Copy it. You may cast the copy. And you can cast Demolich from your graveyard by exiling, exiling four instant and or sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to paying its cost. So it's just this crazy skull out here. And that's, that's really what I jived with. Because if I was making a party, I'm going to include the evil cranky human skull. Like That's, that's just a given. Uh, being an incredibly powerful mythic rare with pseudo-delve and some freaky abilities doesn't mean that I won't just transport this, this dude around in my gym bag. Like, I'm going to carry... <laughs> he's going to be in my party. He's going to be upset every time I pull him out to deal with some mythological threat. And um, he's just, like, going to live in my, my bag with all my other swords and stuff. And, like, 
he might be a little strong, but I feel like he's giving off these mean Skeletor vibes. Uh, where maybe he's just, like, cozy on the inside, and I just kind of have to bring that out in him. Um, but, you know, don't don't let any magic near him, because he'll eat it. I, I think you're literally describing the plot to Pokemon. I think Is that's... that the plot? Oh, yeah, you keep him, and then you throw it out. I mean, my, my source material was, there's this book series called uh, The Dresden Files, and in it, the main dude, who's a wizard in downtown Chicago or something, has his magical compatriot, who's a skull named Bob, who just has all this arcane knowledge that he just reaches to. So I'm thinking Demilich is my Bob. He'll sit on a shelf. He'll tell me all the spells I need. And every once in a while, he'll try to get like my true name out or something. But I'll tell him it's like Chev. Completely throw him off. I really love the trope of like a disembodied companion that's like either really smart or like really powerful, but it can't do anything physically because it it's like only a head or something. Like, you know, <laughs> like I'm the first thing that comes trying to mind, bite your fingers or something. Yeah, like Mimir from um, the most recent God of War, or like, mm. you know, just oh, stuff yeah. like that. That is just like he's he's all in one category. He's he's completely magic zero. He's what happens when you ability. put everything in intelligence. If, if you turn him around, he cannot see what is going on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just and also yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head with like the Skeletor thing. Like that might have just. The whole, Skeletor's existence might have just poisoned all of our minds to thinking every, like, Scully man is like, eh, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can ruin all of this and tell you what a Demi-Lich can do in D&D, but I'm happy to just let it ride. Please don't. <laughs> Later. Some other time. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was thinking that, you know, if, if I have to buy drinks for the, the party, uh, one party member who cannot consume beverages just makes my life easier. <laughs> oh, so you're just a cheapskate is what you're saying. I'm saying it helps. All these are pros. Like, everything is going into pro columns with this guy. Except for the fact that he's, like you said, the the most the most conniving, the most sneaky, the guy you can't Well, that's trust. when I just turn him around. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, Chev. Put a blanket on the head. I, I appreciate your, your natural inclination to uh, villainy and uh, wretchedness, but I chose actually the most loyal, the most trustworthy, the best boy as a, one of the guys that I would like in my party, and that is... The loyal Warhound. He's just—he's just like I said—he's just the best boy. We're all—we're all—we're all dog lovers here. And this guy—he's—he's he's got such just like a droopy, fun face. But he's also is decked out in armor. Um, he's got like satchels on the side. And I—I uh, I did not realize, but the—the the humanoid in his picture, um, I thought they were just kneeling, but I see now that they are probably a halfling and also the yeah. dog is probably five feet tall yeah the dog i think is like like a great dane a irish wolfhound kind of big boy yes yeah it, it'll, it'll 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 eat you for breakfast if it needs to but really it just wants uh, you know some some rubs and cuddles um he's just the best i just i just love dogs this is this is the homie and um also that ability that ability is pretty sweet. Not gonna lie. The ability is good. He is a uh, yep. he is a uh, a knight of the white orchid, basically, but yep. um, slightly yeah. better, I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, all about the oh. loyal warhand. Oh, and his uh, his flavor text is pretty good too. A paladin steed is a celestial spirit in animal form. Just kind of wholesome. Love it. Yep. What makes him so, better than uh, knight of the white orchid? The vigilance. Vigilance. He's a. Oh yeah, it's definitely better. I mean, he's a 3-1 instead of a 2-2, but... Well, I just from um, Knight of the White Orchid can get you... I think you're... Huh. 
What's up? I froze completely because my yeah your your audio's still audio coming through clean, but uh, your your video's non-existent. Can you hear me, Chad? You're, they say your your audio is still coming through, but your video doesn't exist. Well, yeah, it's still oh right because his audio is your audio, Julian. Yeah, I can't hear anything they're saying. He can't That's hear anything saying. you guys are yeah. saying. His his phone died. He is is putting it back on. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, and also, Chev, he costs one in the white as opposed to two white. Le- just less restricted mana cost. That's yeah, why. Yeah. Did I really? I, I know I'm at fifty eight percent. Is it just you were inactive for? No, it like. Just didn't like it. I think it got too hot. I would say that put some ice on it. Don't like don't turn on your video. Like we we don't need to They say that you don't need your video that badly. Okay. I'll just join voice. Yeah. Anyway, um Oak. You got you got some uh, you got some doggos over there too? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I I don't have any specific or named dogs, but I do have a man that likes to keep dogs for company and that is Mordenkainen um this guy's name is really sweet but he is also just this bald old wizard with a goatee and he's definitely the type of guy I would have in my party because Eric was saying this earlier like Volo you know you ask him what a, a creature is maybe he'd be like oh yeah I've seen that before feel like Mordenkainen's the type of guy who's like, I've never seen that before, but I'm figuring out its weaknesses right now, like, on the spot. And then here they are, boom, boom, boom. Because, like, you know, it just looks really smart. <laughs> Mordenkainen also wrote a, one of, like, wrote one of the D&D source books, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. Oh, so, that's sick. He knows what's up. Yep. Wait, Tome of Foes, Guide to Monsters? Yeah. Is that, is there, like, a rivalry here? It's like, all <laughs> If so, that's cool. Yeah. But, um, he, he's definitely seems like the real deal. <clears throat> Anyways, one of his abilities, and uh, you can see this in his art, is that he can create a blue dog illusion creature token with this creature's power and toughness are equal to twice the number of cards in your hand. So, he's just got a bunch of dogs. And you know what? He starts with five loyalty, so he could just make two right off the bat. Um, because it's a minus two. So... Uh, I think this dude's sick, and uh, I'd love to have him and his uh, him and his pups along for the ride. More doggos equals better. Yes, I do love that with doubling season, you can immediately ult him, put your deck in your hand, and then just <laughs> just keep living your your best life. Yep. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, doubling season is a hell of a card. Yep. Uh, actually, uh, now it's not just doubling season. Nuverinclex works as well. <laughs> all these. So that is these, actually a standard legal combo to draw your deck. All these dumb green cards. Am I right, boys? Wait, does that this mean you can draw blue, your entire Julian? deck and then um, play with Dasa in standard for the next three months? Yeah, you could do that. Way, way to ruin... Eric's combo that he found by adding Ooh. passes Oracle. <laughs> no, I actually think that's sick. So <laughs> if you have a hand side, if he and four other cards are in your hand and you have eight mana, you can play him with it's, it's gotta be like you have Varinclex out, you play him, you swap your hand, 
then you play Thassa's Oracle, and it sees four blue pips, and you have four or less cards in your library. Which is tough, but would be sick. That seems... Feasible. Ah, feasible. Varinclex is six mana, Morden Canyon is six mana, and Thassa's Oracle's two mana. Just you ramp, do... just ramp to it. Just go, boom, boom. Just boom, go ham. Blue green, yeah. Yeah, I don't. Honestly, maybe. Julian, you gotta play Shit. this deck. Someone's gonna put this in a Yorian shell, and I'm just gonna hate my life. Yeah. <laughs> Draw yeah. eighty cards. Yeah. Like, oh god. Why? Why? <laughs> I, what I understand is when they play Yorian, and they're like, "We have eighty cards now." And I'm like, "Then how are you still drawing every single card every game? Like every card that you need." Anyway. Uh, let's not talk about that and talk about something fun. Oh, hey, you're, you're still here. Um, go listen to part two. It's up now.